0: It's time for Bring Your Own Lunch, a podcast for your whole face, with your host, Dave T. Koenig. Hello, come on in, have a seat, welcome. This is the Bring Your Own Lunch podcast at bringyourownlunch.com, the magic of iTunes, the majesty of Stitcher, and however you found your way to download this program, I thank you. As you heard at the top, my name is Dave T. Koenig. I'm an actor, writer, director, producer, comedian all-around swell dude and, of course, the host of the program you're listening to right now, B-Y-O-L. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Don't want to uh, diminish the value of the other ways of getting this program, but please do subscribe on iTunes. And if you want to help out, rate us, uh, give us us a comment, uh, do something. That's the best way you can help us out right now and as we build this thing into something that is bigger than it is right now and is not always the goal. Lots to talk about. My guest this week is Ali Faranakian. He is, um, boy, what isn't he? Well, he's a writer, voiceover artist, director, producer, uh, and probably best well known for his work in improv, specifically long form improv. He learned at the hand of Del Close in Chicago, the uh, you know the the guiding light of improv, if you will. Uh, he's a former writer for Saturday Night Live, and he is the founder of the People's Improv Theater, which is one of the major improv uh, theaters and and teaching institutions in New York City. Uh, and he has since uh in the, gone on to to expand his empire to include Simple Studios, which is a rehearsal space, uh, Pioneers Bar, uh, which is a bar uh, that is uh you know pretty self explanatory, and also he is the uh, owner of this theater which has actually been rechristened as the treehouse theater i'll talk more about that in a minute uh and that's where he and i sat down and talked uh we uh had a really cool chat uh Ali is a very very interesting guy. He's got a great history to uh mine and uh, rather than keeping it all improv based, I wanted to kind of get his uh, you know, overall take and and figure out his path to getting from where he was to where he is now and 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 get a sense of where he's going because the guy never stops. He has uh it's one of those true entrepreneurs who just sees opportunities and goes for it. And it's very inspiring that way. Uh, but also, he's a, he's a terrific teacher. I, I took uh, improv classes with him uh, several uh, years ago, and uh, I think he's just got a really good mind for comedy and for improv and for uh, uh, general philosophy. He's got his own way of looking at things, and I think it's uh, it's pretty cool, and it definitely comes out in the interview. Uh, so I'm looking forward to playing that for you. Got a few things I wanted to cover. Uh, first being last week, uh, we, we put the program out after learning about uh, Robin Williams, and I know a lot has been said since then, and his story is uh, certainly tragic, uh, just about, Uh, Everybody who has made a comment about it has said something uh, about how he has influenced them, especially since I'm uh, friends with so many actors and comedians, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter or or anywhere. Really, the guy really was uh, a a brilliant talent and uh, for things to end for him the way they did uh just sort of underlines the the potential for sadness to be there for anybody, and hopefully, if you are in a situation where you feel uh a sense of sadness that you can't manage by yourself, hopefully you will reach out and get help from people around you or people who are well trained to uh help you through it uh One of the things that struck me when I heard about it, and then I immediately posted about it and um on facebook and uh you know, I just said something very simple about how it was shocking and, and I, I just it's 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 surreal. And 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 a week later, uh since since we learned the news, it's still pretty surreal. But my sister, my sister Jen, who um, is uh is always uh coming up with something to say that just uh that really helps me connect what's going on in the world to 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 me and to to my family life and all that good stuff. Uh, she just responded with a simple phrase, Mark Pants. And I should probably explain this. Mark Pants takes me back to first or second grade. And at the time, Mork and Mindy was the thing. And I was a huge Mork and Mindy fan. Um, So much so that I wanted to go to school dressed like Mork. So I begged my mom to take me somewhere to buy Mork clothes. And if you didn't really watch Mork and Mindy, Mork wore a very specific striped shirt, khaki chinos, and suspenders, specifically rainbow suspenders. My guess is that he borrowed that from his time as a mime. And that's what I wanted. I wanted to have Mork's clothes so I can go to school dressed like Mork. So we went to the store and we looked around and what we found were khaki chinos and rainbow suspenders. I was like, I looked at them and I was like, is, is that the real thing? Is that is that the real Mork stuff? Because, you know, when you're in second grade, first, second grade, uh, you don't really know what's official and what's not. So we looked at the label and the label said Mark Pants. That was the brand, Mark. And obviously somebody had the great idea to uh, put out pants and suspenders that looked like what Mork wear, wore on the show, but changed it enough so that Nobody could claim copyright infringement, so the brand was Mark, but it was very clearly meant to imitate what Robin Williams was wearing on the show. So we bought them, and I was thinking I I was the coolest person on earth because I will go to school, I will look like Mork, and people will think I'm awesome. So I go to school, and I go into my classroom, and I look around, and four other kids are dressed like Mork that day. And not only were they dressed like Mork, somehow some of these kids found like authentic licensed Mork clothes. So they not just uh, they weren't just wearing the shirt and the pants and the rainbow suspenders, but they were wearing the special uh, pins. I remember a guy named Morgan Hoffman had the pins that Mork wore on the show. And I was like, how did you do that, man? So that's my little Robin Williams influence story. Um the next day after the news broke about Robin Williams, I had was involved in a project that I've been in, uh, helping with for quite some time. Uh, if you're not familiar, there's a guy named Radio Man, who is an institution in New York City in filmmaking and television production. And Radio Man is so much ingrained in the industry that everybody knows him. Everybody from Tom Hanks to Johnny Depp to George Clooney. Uh, to Meryl Streep, to Robin Williams. And in fact, Robin Williams and Radio Man had a very uh, close relationship going back to when they record, or they filmed the, the movie The Fisher King. And uh, Robin actually worked with Radio Man because Radio Man has had the experience of being homeless and Radio Man has uh, some issues. And, and Robin drew a lot of inspiration from Radio Man in creating the character he used in The Fisher King. So, uh, and, and they've kept in touch for all these years. So the next day I was working on this project with radio man, uh, something that, uh, I've been helping to, to create, uh, it's a show based on radio man's life. Uh, and just hearing hearing radio man talk about Robin Williams and, and his personal relationship with the guy really hit home how giving the Robin Williams is and was, and, uh, and and how much of a loss it really was, um, so I found myself in a very very unique situation. If you haven't already, there's a documentary out called Radio Man, and uh, you should check it out. And Robin Williams is featured prominently in it, along with a host of other A-list celebrities. And uh, being there with Radio Man, uh, just just really just really made it real for me. And uh, I'm sure for a lot of people, Robin Williams will be missed, but but certainly more so. Uh, that can be said for his own family and the, and the friends he made over the time that he was with us uh, totally change gears on you right now I wanted to mention something about uh, reddit if you are not familiar with reddit it's R-E-D-D-I-T.com. Uh it's a website where people post articles and and uh, and posts uh, about specific categories of, of life really. And there is no limit to what Reddit provides. Uh, they have their main page where you can see sort of the top stories from all the top categories, but you can drill down and get into whatever subject you want. Like there is a category for podcasting and I do frequent there and I've gotten some really good tips on how to do this show and and what to do with it. Um, so let's say you want to get into podcasting you go to reddit.com slash r slash podcasting and there will be a list of articles that has been submitted by readers and it's all submitted by people who frequent the site if you like the article you might push a little up arrow next to the uh, link and that means you're giving it an up vote if you don't like it you'll hit the down button and and that'll be the down vote uh and within each of those posts there's discussion and for each Post that someone or for each comment someone uh, makes on the topic at hand, they keep track of how many upvotes and how many downvotes. And the sum total of upvotes minus downvotes is what's called the karma score for that particular comment or that particular article or that particular link or that particular post. The other day, I had an opportunity to engage in a conversation that somebody had posted on what's called Ask Reddit, which is just a general question posed to everybody who goes on the site and the question was what did you resist trying for a long time and then found out you loved it Um, i'm paraphrasing there because i don't remember the exact uh, article but i saw that somebody had said sushi and i've been a sushi fan for 25 years and i've been eating it and enjoying it and in fact at one point i was working as a sushi instructor where I did a lot of research just to prepare. And somebody had said that uh, they first tried California rolls because that was like the simplest entry-level thing. And I posted simply that the California roll is one of the things that got us going in terms of uh, the phenomenon here in the U.S. of sushi. And my research told me that there was a guy in Los Angeles who decided to cater to the American uh, palate and create a roll that would – really appeal to what we're used to because Americans weren't used to raw fish or seaweed or things like that. So he took avocado, which was a replacement for fatty tuna, and he combined it with avocado or a cooked crab and uh, cucumber. And instead of having the seaweed on the outside, he put the rice on the outside and presented that to everybody. And that became a huge hit. And that was in the uh, early 70s. So I posted that information up there in a very simple way, and it exploded. And for the first time, I think, I ever got uh, a large amount of uh, upvotes or a large amount of karma from something I posted. I think I got over 2,000 aggregate positive uh, votes on my comment. And then I found out that there's this big uh, debate on whether or not the guy in los angeles was the proper one credited or if there's a guy in vancouver who can claim that he created the uh, california roll but the thing that's always interesting to me is that it's definitely not uh from japan unless you believe a third person who said there's a guy in okinawa who created the california roll which just makes sense to me because i've never heard of california japan but at any rate there is an interesting history to sushi and you can find out uh Lots about it uh, by going to Reddit. Now, on the flip side of things, you can kind of dig into a different part of your life if you want. And as if you listen to the first episode of this uh, podcast, I did mention that I was involved in the pro wrestling industry. And that I've kept uh, up with it by going to various places online. And that's about as much involved as I get. And I happen to go to the pro wrestling subreddit, which they call Squared Circle. And I saw that somebody posted pictures from an event in 2000 called the Brian Pillman Memorial. And Brian Pillman was a pro wrestler who uh, was a former player for the Cincinnati Bengals. Very talented guy. Very charismatic. Somewhat troubled. And uh, I think he was 35 and he passed away from a heart condition. Although he had his problems with drugs and alcohol. And his friends in the business all got together and did fun, a uh, big fundraising event for several years in a row to help out his family and in 2000 i was actually at that event so when i saw that somebody had posted pictures from that event i was like hey wow i'll check out what they did or what they posted and see the pictures so i scrolled through and uh, i see you know big names in wrestling i'm not gonna tell you i'm not gonna mention because uh, a large percentage of people who uh Live wouldn't know the names anyway, but I did see one of the big stars standing there in the ring, holding a microphone in one of the pictures, and right there in the lower left corner is your friend Dave, because I was taking pictures ringside also. So I find myself, uh, I find, found myself caught in the crossfire, and now I'm going to have to go back and look at the pictures I took from that event and see if I can uh, find a similar angle where I capture the person who took the picture of me at something that happened 14 years ago. So that's Reddit and that's why I usually go back. Got some people to thank before we move on. Got to talk to uh got to got to talk about Banuba, banubanet. They're the ones who provide the music at the beginning, middle and end of this show. Definitely check them out, find out where they will be, download some of their music. They are good. The New York Short Film Shootout, nysfso.com. That's going to be happening on Monday, August 25th at 8 p.m. at the newly christened Treehouse Theater, 154 West 29th Street, on the second floor. And uh, we will be showing a fine lineup of short films. The lineup has been released. Go to nysfso.com for more information about what films we will be showing, and hopefully you will be able to join us. And also, just uh, as I had promised before, Treehouse Theater that's the former name of this theater which itself is the former name of the people's improv theater and uh, or at least the original location of the people's improv theater so you can find out more about treehouse theater and it's becoming a uh, teaching school or a theater school I should say at a performance and uh, educational facility you can go to treehousetheaternyc.com to find out more about it and that's where my interview with Ali Faranakian comes from so let's get into it uh, here is my conversation with Ali Faranakian. We cover a lot of ground. It's some very interesting stuff, and hopefully, you'll enjoy.
1: You really hear the mechanicals in this room. Right? Yeah, you can. It's the ceiling. It's the air conditioning. It's just the vibrations. You know, it's a two-story building with stuff all around. It.
0: Yeah, so you got lots of opportunities to uh, have things vibrate and bounce yeah. around and stuff. But that's why we have technology. You know, that's
1: technology. Technology
0: will save us enslave us or save <laughs> us technology. You kind of have a, th- a, 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 a what is your relationship to technology?
1: Well, I like it. I think it's a tool. I mean, I wish I knew more about it. I wish I could you know, you know, I see that, you know, you got your iPad you're doing this whole thing. I'm like, God, I got an iPad. Well, the girls use it more than I do. But yeah. She used to record stuff and then how do you record it and then download it on the computer? But I'm sure it's, you know. It's all, a process. All learnable.
0: But you're an intelligent guy. Yeah. Yeah. You- <laughs> You're an intellectual. I don't see myself that way. You don't see yourself as an intellectual? I I think most people would find you to be an intellectual, uh, but you don't find yourself. No, not an intellectual or an
1: intelligent guy. I'm an average
0: guy. An average guy who's led an average life.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say I'm lucky. (laughs) I would think so. I mean, I'm very lucky. I'm very blessed. You seem content yeah I'm content but you know it's very easy to go through a Facebook feed and be get real ornery real quick and be like oh wait a second that's my ego.
0: Yeah, but that's that's what happens. you go through and you're like, how did that guy get that job?
1: And I'm sitting here doing nothing. Well, I mean, I don't know if I'm shooting down that guy. I don't know who that guy is. I know who that guy is. But it's definitely... His name com- is Bill. Compare, I don't and, <laughs> compare and despair. Com- I yeah, you got to be one. very careful not to compare and despair. That's a good way to put it. This person I knew then, you came up... But I'm like, wait a minute, I'm somewhere in the middle. And that's not bad. That's not bad. I'll take it. Look, I'm very blessed. I'm very lucky. Someone online said that... Um,
0: we spent a lot of time comparing our blooper reels to somebody else's highlight reel, mm, and right. it was very, very meaningful to me because that's what we do, you know. Especially as actors and performers and all that stuff, you know, we have so many people we can compare ourselves to, whether or not it's a direct comparison, and uh, we we do it. That's that's what we do, mm-hmm. and and so, but but you've you've actually had so many people around you who have had various levels of success, so you've seen. You've seen the ups and the downs of a career probably from your position as well as anybody I know. Mhm. Yeah. Um let's can we start at the beginning? The beginning. The beginning. Cuz I don't, you know, you and I've known each other for a bunch of years. Big bang theory stuff. Yeah. Yes, we'll start we'll start at, at moment sure. 0. Wow. Before that time did not exist Gosh. and then then the big bang and then Ollie is born.
1: That's when you get like really, you know, if you talk about intellectual or whatever mind-blowing, what was before the big Bang? Was there time? What was there?
0: It makes When they say that there was literally nothingness, right and to a level that none of us can actually comprehend what it means. Right.
1: that drives me nuts. That is what if you really thought about it for a while. Could take you to a place. It could, it where could. it's like, wait a minute. There was nothing, and then there was this tiny dot, di- and from that, an explosion occurred that started sending out. Within that, how did all that stuff was in this tiny, yeah. you know, BB? Um, where who that
0: BB? Where did that come from? Who yeah. made that? And how big was that BB to begin with? Right. I mean, it could be infinitesimally smaller than a BB, right?
1: So, did it grow? And if it grew, how did it grow? But where did it come yeah, from? Yeah. You see, if you really go to those places, and you keep asking questions. Yeah. And you keep going further. But where did it start? And kids do that. You got kids. And yeah, they'll ask yeah. questions, which forces you to ask questions, to be like, yes, but where did
0: it? Yeah. And that, how did it? The difference for them is that to be a child means that you don't have to worry about what it means in terms of existentialism. You can be like... Where did we all come from? Well, there's, you know, we all kind of evolved from uh, beings, and you know, there was one point there was like nothing, and now there is something. And they're like, okay, I'm gonna go play. But we sit up at night, and we're like, this is this is death. You know, this is.
1: But what is even death? I know the void. It's gone. Do you? I mean, that's the amazing. My my daughters will ask me about it. I have to remind them and myself. No one has ever been back to tell us. So nobody on earth no matter what they say has any idea very what true. the other side is like absolutely but some people feel very free to tell people this is what it is this yes. is the other side this is you know what you're going to expect this is why you have to live this way on earth to get this on that side exactly like exactly nobody knows
0: yeah it, it, and the and the less likely the answer somebody might present to you the more you just kind of know that they have zero idea you know it's it's like and, and it's a uh, what do you call it uh, proportional relationship kind of thing Where it's like the less you really know The louder you're going to be about it And that's what makes life kind of annoying I think Right um,
1: When you say like uh, you, you, you okay? You, yeah I'm just taking yeah. a deep breath Sometimes when my mind like starts wandering yes. Or I have a little interruption I go yeah And I'm like why did I say yeah It improved nothing So Coming from you that is an amazing
0: statement I have to say What's that? As somebody who teaches improv <laughs> yeah. and the basic tenet of yes and, you just said sometimes I say yes and I have no
1: idea why. No, no, but sometimes like I don't need to say yeah. Oh, okay. After you're saying you're somebody said something and you go yeah, okay. What what did I what was what was the point of me saying that?
0: I think you engaged in normal human interaction. But what is normal? Protocol.
1: We've created normal. At a certain point, there was no language. That blows my too. That's even more yeah. amazing. That yeah. Everything we're saying. My daughter was asking me about a word. And she's like, what's this word? Someone called me that on the bus or whatever I oh, said. Geez. I think it was like butt sack. And I was like, it's a made-up <laughs> word. <laughs> and I think they were probably saying nut sack and you misconstrued it as butt sack. But I'm not going to get into that because I'm not going to get into nuts, which she just found out about. Oh. How, she, she saw how old is she? Uh, she's eight. She's eight. But... You know, I try to explain to her, every word is made up. And that's a mind-blowing concept. Yeah, yeah. That there is no word that we did not make up as humans in order to communicate. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, whatever it is, it's made up. So, normal human interaction of like, yeah, mm-hmm, I'm letting you know I'm listening by saying, mm-hmm, yeah, right, okay, okay. <laughs> Is unnecessary.
0: It is unnecessary. And I don't know why we do half the things we do. I, you know, it's funny. I had a conversation with somebody uh, previously where, you know, I, you know, I don't curse on the show. If you curse, I don't care. It's not important to me because uh, I don't have a particular feeling about it. You know, whatever. But I just don't because I choose to, like, hold on to them like silver bullets. You mm-hmm. know, it's like because if, if I'm going to curse, it's going to have a good, you know, it's going to have some impact to it. But it's funny how they're just words. Right. They just don't mean anything.
1: Well, I mean, they do mean, you know, when I, you know, and there's quotes throughout time because, again, people who have been around for a long time have had to process this stuff before us. Uh-huh. But, you know, profanity is a weak person's sign of strength. True. I get that. Okay, yeah, I appreciate that. Someone's using that language in order to act like they're bigger than they are. Mm-hmm. And when you overuse it, it's like, eh. You okay. take away all the power from it, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it robs the English language of what it is, which is a business language. Mm. A language of communication. Mm. So all of a sudden, this word comes in there, and it's robbing us of adverbs and adjectives and nouns, and we're just blah, 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 you know.
0: you got a lot on your mind, man. It's, it's fascinating every time we talk, because you, you've got... You, do you need to deal with that? or is, do we, No. Because you're, vi- you're a very busy guy. And just to give people who don't know who you are uh, context... You, you are a, an improv teacher, you're an actor, you're a writer, and I'm sure you're directing something in some way at some point. Hey, uh, not only that, but you're, a, you're an entrepreneur. You've begun several businesses here in New York. Uh, where does that come from, the entrepreneurial part? Because I think a lot of people understand the, the acting part and the, and the allure there, but to, to start things from scratch and take on that responsibility... It kind of has to be in your DNA. So, where does that come from?
1: Uh, Probably DNA, though. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, a lot of it's inertia. Mm. A lot of it's luck. None of it was by design. Mm. It was just one thing led to another. And, you know, again, as they say, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. So, it was like these things were needed. Right. We started a theater. That theater needed a space to teach classes. Simple Studios was created. We were losing the theater because there weren't sprinklers. We needed another theater space. 123 East 24th, the new pit, found us. We went there. There was a space available under Simple Studios. Simple Studios needed a place for people to gather after classes. So we built Pioneers. The old pit was available. It was close to Pioneers. We realized that Pioneers had been built. Now maybe we could somehow subsidize another black box theater mm-hmm. using Pioneers. And so we built this theater, you know, 154 West 29th. I don't know if we'll end up keeping the name this theater, but it's a starting name.
0: Well, the address is probably more important than anything else. Because yeah. I think more a lot of people who I know and uh, – performed here and saw shows here which was the original pit space where we're sitting right now yeah. and now called this theater i think everybody still knows where this is so when you refer to it it hasn't been so long that people are like oh where is that right. if you just say it's where the old pit was so many people know it so i think the address probably carries as much weight as anything else
1: well i mean it's been a theater space for probably close to 25 years
0: yeah you were telling me that where what was here before was it was a the theater
1: pit. here called the Curicon theater that was here for nine, ten years before us then it was empty for two years then we were here for eight years mm-hmm. um, and then beyond that this space was zoned as a synagogue in 1935 so they were doing you know shows of a some performance kind, of, a performance yeah. of yeah. some kind yeah. since 1935 and then the various incarnations it's had since then I'm not sure mm. you could probably do the research but so it, it felt like it has the, the bones Of being a a nice fifty-seat black box for people to practice, and I don't know. We'll see if it ends up being, you know, our Louisiana purchase or our Waterloo. (laughs) Two very different transactions and two very different
0: results. But uh, you know, I, as somebody who performed here, and I've I've told you this. This feels like home because this is where I spent a lot of time performing and doing jams and shows and house team shows Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So, and there there feels. There's there's an atmosphere here that I think is great, and I'm it's very gratifying to come back into the space, and even just to do this podcast mm-hmm. is awesome. Uh, when you were growing up, did you have any thought in your mind at all that this was where you might be in this sort of position, where you're performing and also responsible for a lot of spaces in in
1: the city? No, no, absolutely not. I played a lot of make believe growing up in North Carolina mm-hmm. in a small town. You were by yourself a lot, and then you were with other kids three or four kids a lot we had motorcycles and bows and arrows and you know we played make-believe huh. and uh you know as far as looking back on the landscape of my life in terms of small business or entrepreneurialship, you know when i found out at like seven or eight that you could return bottles for five cents each <laughs> i spent like a weekend collecting every bottle in my town wow and, you know, I don't know how much I got for it, but I remember a pile of bottles being under a tree and then having my parents drive our car to that tree, get the bottles, go to the store and exchange it for money. So you
0: did have it in you somewhat, yeah, some something, way. somewhere in there was this idea that, you know, you could, you could sort of plot your own destiny financially,
1: you know, on some level. Yeah. But again, it, it, there are moments of grace. Like I was four years old. We lived in uh, hospital housing and next to us was a large um, lot. Uh, with trees and there were city workers who were raking the leaves and I went out there and this was a time where a four or five-year-old could go outside of the house without his parents knowing Mm -hmm. or you know caring because that's just the way it was and I started raking leaves with these guys and they gave me a set of gloves and I remember distinctly at the end of the day (laughs) a guy reached in his pocket and gave me a couple of bucks for helping them rake leaves. And then all of a sudden I made this connection that if you work you get paid and I was just out there raking leaves because it was fun and I think I... Like gloves too, you know, (laughs) and so that was an early connection. But again, it's these moments of grace where something happens that you have no control over, Mm -hmm. you know, all of a sudden, you know, you live by this place, you go outside, you start raking leaves, you know, same thing with the collecting of the bottles, same thing with, we had a lawnmower that was riding and I was able to start like a little, you know, lawn service, you know, things like that.
0: You definitely had it then.
1: Well, how long were you in uh, North Carolina? Well, my folks still live there. We got to North Carolina when I was a third grader. Okay. Um, probably around nineteen seven, summer of 75, 76 maybe, mm-hmm. 75, 76. And then, you know, to this day, I still call it home. I mean, I go back there for the holidays and whatnot went to Chapel Hill. Uh-huh.
0: How was Chapel Hill for you?
1: You know, uh, you know, for me, it was phenomenal. I was young when I got there. But also I met a group of guys who were all very funny guys at a fraternity a fraternity <laughs> I ended up joining um, in Chapel Hill. And to this day, when I just had my forty fifth birthday, fifty over fifty of them flew from around the world wow. to come, you know, join in the, the revelry. I and mean, you know, granted, it's not all about me, it's a chance for them all to see each other. Sure, New York sure. City does a lot of the work for you. You know, and it was an excuse for a gathering. But to have over fifty people A lot of people would be lucky to have five. Right, from over 25 years. That's pretty impressive, yeah. Again, like I said, a lot of it's New York City. A lot of it's, you know, getting a chance to see each other, them, you know. If I could be a catalyst, which is really, you know, where I can be of service, being a catalyst, like these places that I oversee, because I don't own anything, they're all (laughs) leases. (laughs) You know, every one of them that I have is over a 100 year old building. Mm. So I know, hey, if the other guys who were here before me aren't here, what about. You know, it's like that sense of when you're a child and you find out about death. Yeah. You're like, well, what happened to them? But where'd they go? Right. Oh, wait a minute. So, that's going to happen to me? Right. So, that's the same thing with renting spaces. You know eventually what happened to them will happen to you. That's true. You can't hold them forever. They're like, you know, it's like a war and taking a hill. And so, we, you know, we had Hill 154, West 29th (laughs) for eight years and then we lost Hill 154. For three years. And then we took back Hill 154. And, you know, we signed a 10-year lease and hopefully we can keep it for 10 years as a theater. And we'll see and see where it goes. That's, That's right. It, for people to practice, do their thing, work on their craft. Yeah. You said you
0: were at uh, Chapel Hill uh, when you were young. Did you did you finish school, high school early? Or? Yeah,
1: 85 to 90. Well, I mean, I didn't finish high school early. I, my mom changed my birthday year so I could start first grade. You know, so I just got to Chapel Hill. I was going to be 16 when I got there, 17 that October. Oh, okay. You know, not that young, but young enough that I was just young. Yeah. You yeah. know, and it was like access to all access- this stuff. Yeah, 16 for college. Yeah, you I know, mean, I
0: was going to be 17. Technically 17, a month. But, but still, I mean, it's that's, still young. that's and, a pretty developing, important yeah, development age, you know.
1: And I just don't know if I had the skills of studying and homework. Yeah, absolutely. And showing up and reading consistently. And, you know, like I said, a lot of it's just luck. And, you know, I've been given a certain amount of natural talent, but I don't know if my work ethic was ever developed to a point. I know when it's time to sprint Mm -hmm. and run. And these projects that I've done have taught me, like, there's a time to walk and smell the the, the roses. There's Mm -hmm. a time to walk with direction and purpose. Mm -hmm. There's a time to run and there's a time to sprint. But you can't sprint forever right but while you're building a place like this or any of these places you have to be willing to run and sprint for 100 120 days you know six times 30 180 days sure you know sure. from the time you signed the lease to get it open
0: well like you were saying with uh, pioneers that's quite a while to finally open so how long were you we'll get back to your uh, history because yeah, i like to but um, like an example of of opening up a bar that you opened called pioneers yeah uh that was that was
1: but again that's that's a moment of grace i'm walking to a voiceover audition from simple studios Mm -hmm. i walk outside i walk down the street the landlord's putting his key in the door to show a final tenant a final walk through i mean a prospective tenant. and uh i pop my head in to say hello you mind if i look around the space wow this is amazing i didn't know how big it was back here this could have made a great bar coffee shop lounge he said it's not over yet i said really he goes whoever gives us the security deposit first I had a good friend that I met in a class teaching improv. He's one of my students. We hit it off. Very nice man, real estate attorney, said, if you ever need my help doing leases, let me know. We went from seeing it in that moment of grace and the universe bringing us there really to signing a lease in three weeks. (laughs) Then it takes about from that point because the infrastructure is in place with my expediter to get a letter of no objection, a liquor license attorney to get the beer and wine and liquor license in motion. From that point, it takes probably another six weeks with architects and stuff, six to eight weeks to get the, the, the permits, mm. the work permits to work. In that period of time, you're putting together the construction team, the crew, the materials, bidding out different parts of the job because that was a bigger job than we'd ever done. We had to put in all new HVAC, mm. all new plumbing, all new electrical. All right. It had never been a public space in the 100-plus year history of the building. But we built that in about 90 to 100 days because we knew the clock was ticking. I wasn't prepared for another project. Right, right. Financially, emotionally, spiritually, whatever. But I knew if I didn't do this, it was never going to be. Now, would you
0: call that a sprint? Because yeah. from the outside perspective, I'm thinking like 100 days of this like no… A like, run. Within that For me, run. I'd be like petrified, but you consider that part of
1: your sprint. That, I would say, is like a long-distance run. Okay. An ultra marathon. Mm-hmm. But within that ultra marathon, there are times and days where you have to sprint mm. to get something done, you know, and that could be to get the plumbing done. And it was during Hurricane Sandy when it happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it shut down for one week. I had people who couldn't get to work. We didn't have power. We had oh. flooding issues. The windows weren't in. So there was just plastic oh. and plywood, plastic wrap and plywood over the windows. Man. I mean, there was a time when, you know, the, 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 the skylight, which is one of the main reasons I did the project because I'd never done a skylight before and I wanted to do the skylight. And it felt like, again, you can get caught up in, if I don't do this project, this will never be a skylight back here. it'll you know, just be a dry cleaning warehouse. They were going to make it into a dry cleaner uh-huh, sure. where people, uh, this company had five other dry cleaners. They were going to bring it all the stuff here, do all the cleaning. And, you know, so I knew it would never be a public space. Mm-hmm. So, when we had the skylight part of it go in, they just took out the existing space that was like an old skylight painted whatnot. And then mm. they walked away with an empty ceiling for about seven feet by 40 feet. Oh. And I said, wow. well, where are you guys going? They're like, uh, we just demolished. We do not. We put it. It's up to you for the contractor to put it in. Oh, man. I'm like, well, no, no, no. My contractor's MIA doing kitchen and bathroom paydays. Jeez. You know. I said, you guys got to. Go get some blue tarp. We'll cover it for you. So, they went out and got blue tarp very quickly. They covered it up. But the challenge with blue tarp is there's nothing, if it rains, that's going to support it. It needs beams. Yeah. So, that night, one of the worst rains, I don't know how long, my wife called. I went home. She goes, you know how bad it's raining? I told her about the skylight. Yeah. Yeah. So, let me just go check on Pioneers. I went to Pioneers, opened the the grate. When I got to the grate, there was one inch at the front door of water. By the time I got to the back, there was probably... 5 or 6 inches of water. Oh man. And I'm just screaming. That hurts.
0: Why? How much how why? much good stuff was already in at that Nothing. point?
1: Okay, I mean the flooring was everything. all right, but it yeah. was it was there was damage. Sure, sure. And I was screaming. It was like a movie. I was in the back of a building, <sighs> indoors, pouring down rain, screaming why. The crane shot through your right. uh through, through your uh, uh skylight. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> when I told my friend Dave Pasquese about this, he should, he said, you should have said, is that all you got? <laughs> Which always reminds me, it's perspective. It's true. You know? It's true.
0: And you look at the place today, and it's gorgeous. It's, you know. It's- yeah, I
1: mean. Yeah, I mean, it's I'm, I don't want to get my own way. It's it, it's a solid, nice space. It's got its flaws, you know. It's we had to build it very quickly, so we have to always retrofit. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got flooring issues; with the floors warped in a place. We have got to fix it. But that's any business. Businesses are a lot like ships. There's always going to be work to be done because there's water involved.
0: Well, yeah, same thing with a home,
1: right? You know, I don't know. Always, yeah, you, there's no end to it. There's never. It's yeah. always going to be like there's a plumbing issue, there's an electrical issue, yeah. there's a water issue, there's a. You know, with all of these, they're different, different size ships. Yeah. And there's always something to do. Mm-hmm. So, it's never done. It's retrofitting. It's like, you know, you know but, it's, but it's open. And in any business, as a small business owner or anybody who's, you know, thinking about going into small business, you kind of have to go from hemorrhaging to bleeding to patching up. When you're building, you're hemorrhaging. You're spending money every day on materials and labor. When you finally open and are able to at least get some money going the other way, then you're still bleeding because you have a certain amount you have to hit that day. If you don't hit that amount, then you're bleeding. Mm-hmm. So you have to get past the point of the amount you need per day. And then now you begin to recoup mm-hmm. the amount you invested to build the space. And that
0: takes a lot of guts, I think. You know, And, and you're probably going to deny it, but I think it takes a lot of uh, intestinal fortitude to be able to handle that process. And I think that's where most people duck out, you know. And as a performer, we sort of have that too, where a lot of people couldn't handle what they call the rejection of going into auditions and, and not getting the job and feeling that that's rejection. So, I mean, I, and, I, and I always kind of deny that that means anything significant in terms of, you know, whether or not we are strong or whatever. But, but from the outside perspective of somebody who's launching these ventures, I mean, it seems like an incredibly uh, brave thing to do.
1: I don't know if it's brave. I mean, you know, I used to do a solo show for an hour and 15 and again, hour and a half. And someone said to me, isn't it hard to get up there for an hour and 15, hour and a half by yourself? And I said, yeah, but it's just a little harder not to, Mm. you know, so it's the same thing with these spaces. It's like they're. it's not like I don't work or live near them. Mm -hmm. So simple studios, we have about another, I believe five years left on the lease or something like that. Um, I would have to walk by Pioneer Space every day mm. and see a dry cleaner. Yeah. And be like, yeah. oh, I could have done it, but I got scared. Yeah. And same thing with 154. Mm. I'd have to walk by it because Simple Studios is here and say, yeah, yeah, that could have been a theater, but I got scared. And now it's a, you know, a karate dojo or a yoga <laughs> studio, which is fine. Right. But it's, you know… The community that I can be of service to is the comedy community, the theater community of, you know, building and overseeing these platforms for people to do their thing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? So that's what the hard part it is. It's not like this project was somewhere where I would never see it again.
0: Right, right. Yeah, and, and, and I guess, well, this is going to be one of those questions that's either going to sound really hoity and, and and I don't know, uh, brainy, or it could just actually work. But one of the things that, that you talked about, In classes you teach is is follow the fear. How much of what
1: you learn from doing improv relates to what you do as an entrepreneur? I think a lot of it. I mean, I use those touchstones all the time. Follow the fear, you know, which was, you know, passed on to me by Dell Mm -hmm. is exactly why these places here. The fear is why do this place under, you know, simple studios, you know, again, you do things. And every time I do one, it seems like I was young when I did it or younger. So, there's a certain naivete that comes with following the fear. Mm. And it's important to know the difference between prudence and fear. Mm. You know, there's good fear and bad fear. You know, a bad fear is you don't want to go to the zoo because you're afraid the tiger will get out of the cage. That's bad (laughs) fear. Good fear is you're in a cage with a tiger. Yeah. You know, you should be afraid. But with these projects, you are following the fear. The fear is, you know… The old pit, this 154 space, had its day in the sun. A lot of people started out here. You know, they did their shows here. Groups were formed here. Um, And it would have been easy, and we'll see, time will tell, to leave well enough alone. Mm. You know, but I just couldn't leave it alone. I knew there were things that I wanted to do that I wasn't able to do the first time. Right. You know, I wanted to do built-in benches in the lobby. Mm -hmm. I wanted a new hardwood floor in the lobby. I wanted the risers, you know... Higher and more substantial with the light booth in the back. I wanted a more substantial uh, backstage, you know, uh, wall area. Mm. You know, so there are things in my mind that I wanted to do that I've been thinking about for the past three years. On and off. Mm -hmm. That if the time came and I knew it was like, you know, it's like what we say as actors. Roles you're right for, you cannot escape. Ones you're not right for, you'll never get. Mm -hmm. That's the same thing with spaces. Spaces you're right for, you cannot escape. Ones you're not right for, you'll never get. Mm. So these spaces in a way found me and I just couldn't escape them. <laughs> yes, I mean you have to show up every day and you can't just slip and fall into a 10-year lease. Right. I think it's hard for a bank to, you know, put their money behind well, something bank, like that. Yeah. I've never got money I've never gotten money from a bank. Is that right? No. Oh. Wow. I mean that's not how I do it. I mean you can't get a loan unless you have a home. That yes. You can get a line of credit. Right, right. You know and I can get a, and I do have lines of credit. Okay. But once you exercise those lines of credit, you owe interest on the line of credit. Mhm. So, you know, I mean, I mean, again, the story is, you know, again, the bifurcation points that got me here are simple. I mean, I, you know, again, luck, luckily that someone invited me back to second city to do a show. Mm -hmm. Luckily that I had friends worked at SNL who thought enough of me to have me audition. You know, luckily I got a job at SNL at a time, you know, where they weren't really looking to hire any writers. Mm -hmm. Luckily, you know, SNL needed to cut three people because there was, you know, too many writers and they were spending too much on writers. And I was one of the three light writers that got cut. Luckily, I ended up buying a home Mm. using that money. Mm -hmm. Luckily, my second daughter was about to be born and my wife said I can't live in a walk-up with two. Luckily, we sold and it was the top of the market. Oh, wow. Luckily, we tried to buy again and the co-op board turned us down after the estate accepted the offer in New York City. Luckily then, I took that money and began using that chunk of change to start Simple Studios. And then uh, the new pit… And then from that, you know, pioneers and then landlords who are understanding enough to give us, you know, creative deal structures mm. and work with us. Mm-hmm. I mean, they still want to be covered. They still want to get their rent. But, you know, once you're established, it's a little bit easier. Sure, sure. You know, can we,
0: can we connect those dots a little bit? Because, I mean, you, you just gave us like this really quick overview of your of your professional life, which is fascinating stuff mm-hmm. to me. Um, You're at North Carolina, Mm -hmm. uh, and you ended up at Second City. How did you get from North Carolina to Second
1: City? Well, I mean, I was in Chapel Hill. Mm -hmm. I was home Christmas Eve of 89, and I was watching SNL, uh, and all of a sudden I had a legitimate epiphany of I want to write for this show at some point in my life. Mm -hmm. Went back to Chapel Hill, told some friends about it. They said, wow, there's this place in Chicago called The Second City. You should look into it. Had you ever heard of it? I'd heard of SCTV. I didn't make the connection of SCTV in the Second City. Okay. You know, and there was a place in Chicago. In Chicago, I'd never been there and it seemed so foreign to me, you know. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I used the Google of the time and called 411. Hello, Chicago, Second City. Hello, do you have any writing classes? Yes, we have a writing class taught by a former SNL writer, Michael McCarthy. Great. Sign me up. Wow. And then November 1st, after just kind of staying in Chapel Hill to finish up that year, you know, uh, ended up flying to Chicago with a bag of clothes and a Mac SE, uh, November first, ninety. I started studying at you know uh, Second City writing. I took a sketch writing class, and then I uh, started studying improv at the Improv Olympic, uh, Improv Olympic with Sharna and Dell, and then that kind of began it.
0: So uh, mind blowing how that did work out for you to have that epiphany, and then almost like a, you almost bee lined your way to Chicago. Um, yeah. Explain for anybody who might not know who, who Dell Close is and who Shar- Sharna
1: Halpern is. Well, Sharna and Dell had the Improv Olympic in Chicago. And, you know, Sharna was like the business side of it and art. You know, she taught as well and still teaches, an artistic director, I guess. And Dell was like the, you know, the guru, the teacher, the people who came, who wanted to study with him. Um, and he was someone who'd been around in improvisation for a long while loved improvisation thought of as an art and he's the kind of guy who when he was in the room he he made you want to be a better improviser Mm -hmm. he made you want to do you know better scenes and be more you know real and less jokey um and so you know if it weren't for him and her really there'd be no pit and the other things wouldn't have come from it
0: yeah well there's a ton that owes itself to what they did in chicago i mean ucb wouldn't have started and there would be no sort of uh, uh, genesis point for all these people who are now doing a lot in comedy. Yeah. Um, so you were at Second City or Improv Olympic, um, and then you ended up getting to go to New York and an audition for SNL. I well, mean, I mean, what was I mean, that process? Yeah. Well, I mean that's
1: nine years from wow. the it time I showed did. up. At nine second, years. What's nine when years? When I showed up at Second when I showed up in Chicago, November first, ninety. Mm-hmm. By the time I was sitting in the audience of the 25th anniversary show of SNL, mm. August of 99, you know, roughly nine years. Mm. You know, so I got to Chicago. I did Improv Olympic. Was on a house team called The Family for about four years. And yeah, who was years. on The Family? Is that the one that I'm thinking of? The Family, of? yeah. I mean, it was, uh, you know, uh, Matt Besser, uh, Adam McKay, Ian Roberts, um, Rick Roman, Neil Flynn, uh, Miles Stroth. Yeah, I mean, there was various incarnations, but by the the three or four year run of it, there was the six of us, Mm -hmm. you know, and then we did improv for, you know, three or four years, Thursday, two on Friday, two on Saturday. And from that, we formed the original UCB, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and from there, you know. Were
0: those all the six involved or were, uh, because I've I've always heard different numbers and different names. Who were the first... Grouping that of called the UC- themselves that. UCB. Yeah.
1: Um, Besser, McKay, Ian, uh, Horatio, Drew Franklin, Rick Roman, myself. Yeah. I mean, that, those are I, what I would consider the founding members mm-hmm. of UCB. And then other people came along in different incarnations for the sure, different shows. Sure, sure. Yeah. But the first group of people who met and started doing shows at Kill the Poets or uh, No Exit, Mm -hmm. You know these places in Chicago where we would just get up and the first people were part of the first show virtual reality that that was that group Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm leaving anybody out, but yeah, I think that's um, But then you know, we did that for four years at IO and from that we ended up I ended up getting hired by second city I was there for about two and a half years Understudying touring around the country great experience and then ended up getting you know Let go or quitting or fired or whatever you want to call (laughs) it after two and a half years then I went to LA for about a year and change, mm-hmm. and then again a friend threw down the rope. Um, a gentleman named Jeff Richmond invited me back to do a show at Second City, and I came back and did a show. I was there for about nine months, and uh, again ended up getting let go. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I got hired by SNL in uh, August of '99. Wow!
0: So when you you said you were there for two and a half years doing Second City. As part of the review, right? Is that basically touring what we're
1: doing? company? You're touring, touring around company? the country. You're doing Monday shows every three weeks. You're was you that know.
0: just improv, or was that just
1: sketch? Or was no, it that's both? sketch. It's mostly sketch. Well, it's, yeah, okay. two acts of sketch with some improv bits thrown in. Right, and those are the classic.
0: Like you did, you did a lot of the classic sketches that were. Yeah, but eventually for a long
1: time, right? we, we started writing our own stuff. You did, okay. and at one point we had a show that might have been almost all original, except for a few blackouts. Oh, interesting. For a few short sketches, but again, I mean, the people in my cast were a lot of writers, right? And we wanted to write our own stuff. And, and who, who was in that cast? Well, I mean, that cast was you know Tina Fey, you know Amy Poehler, Rachel Dratch, Bill Cott, Kevin Dor, Rich Tellerico. Uh, Pat McCartney, uh, Rachel Hamilton. You know, Dave Keckner was in in the very beginning, and then Mm -hmm. he went on to Northwest. Matt Dwyer was in there. Mm -hmm. You know, the incarnations, when you were going in, you're going into a a moving target. Mm -hmm. It's already changing. You're going in for someone, they're going out. They're going to a different state. And that's how it's always been. That's always. Yeah. You know, and then... For a chunk of time, a group will stay together until someone gets moved to a stage or moves on or whatever ends up happening. Mm-hmm. And but it was that, that was for you a job. I mean, it's so much has changed uh, since then. I mean, was that you got paid? Yeah, you got paid. Exactly. I don't know if you, I couldn't have made a living just doing that. You couldn't.
0: Okay, no, so it's not like no. it's changed that much. No. I mean, you get the sense like because it's all out of context. But people who were in Round and and involved heavily in the nineties, let's say. They were making enough to live on, but today you couldn't even think about making a living doing that. But it wasn't well, enough to I make mean, a living Chicago off back then.
1: Well, Chicago a cheaper city to live in. Yeah. Due to rent. Um, but, no, I mean, I always had another job. Okay. You know, I worked in restaurants as well. So, um, or video stores. But, uh, no, you couldn't. I mean, even ETC where I was performing Tuesday or Wednesday to Sunday. hmm I don't know if you could really call it making a living. You could make money, and you got paid, right? Right. But I mean, you know, it I wasn't would,
0: enough to just keep you
1: going. No, you always. I mean, I personally had to, always had to have other jobs.
0: So it was, it was, it was, uh, it was part of the process of getting to somewhere. But it was never a career. Uh, it was enough to to say this is my career, and I don't have to do anything else. Well, no,
1: no, none of it is though. None of it is though.
0: Well, I that's true. That nowadays, especially when you have people who. Uh, even who are at the top of their game sometimes still struggle to find enough work to make right. you know the bills paid. Right. Um, so okay, so you're on Second City, and then you said you got let go or fired, or you quit, or you know whatever whatever happened there. Right. And you ended up getting an opportunity off of that.
1: No, after I got fired the first time. No, I was in a oh, relationship. the second time, right? I, yeah, the second time. Okay. Yeah, the second time I got rehired to do a show at ETC, one of the two stages. Okay. Yeah. And then one night SNL came you know, as they are apt to do once a year to see both stages. And they saw me and thought enough to say, hey, look, we're not looking for any male writers, but put together a writing packet, a gentleman named Steve Higgins. And he said, I'll show it to the the writers. What was it about uh, what he saw, do you think? I don't know. I remember during that week before they were coming, you know, they told us about it. So I knew we knew okay. they were coming. They said, FYI, SNL's coming. And, you know, being a recovering smart ass, I, <laughs> I circled the FYI part and said, so what do you think I should do? A different show that I have been doing? You know, something. I wrote some, <laughs> some smart ass remark on The things it. we do when we're young. Right. And then so, you know, I, I, I heard something on NPR about how the fastest people in the world are not people who run 100 meters the fastest there are people who run 50 meters the fastest but take the longest amount of time to slow down. At 50 meters, you can't go any faster. Right. You have to just relax and run. Huh. So I took that in and I said, okay, just do the show you've been doing. Don't try to go bigger or bulge your eyes or whatever it is to get more of a laugh. Mm -hmm. And it was the second show on a Friday of a half full house, you know. And, you know, I remember the people around me who were very talented started doing things they normally don't do, like getting bigger or trying Mm -hmm. to punch things. And there was... I could see little fissures in the performance. Mm. So, you know, I tried to do the show that I did. And I guess a decent show. The writing was there. And, you know, again, I had friends who were at the show. Right, right. So, you know, that's part of it where it helps.
0: Back then, how often do you think you were killing as a group? What do you mean? ETC? Like wherever in Second City. I mean, when you think back of the people who you were on stage with and you yeah. yourself, you put them on a stage today and you're going to pack the house and... and you wouldn't have to do a heck of a lot to get a huge reaction based on reputation alone. But back then, uh, it, was, it was all about potential. How, how often did you see, like, okay, this is what kills? You know, this is, we're, we're nailing them. Because sometimes when you go out there and on a comedy stage, you get
1: crickets. Mm-hmm. So what was sort of the ratio of, like, killing to crickets for you guys? Well, I mean, I, I, mean, I remember shows being, you know, a whole show killing against a sketch show. So, it'll have dead spots and it'll have places where you're not in it or someone else is in it and right, it's working. Right. You know, but I remember shows being good. Mm-hmm. I remember if you, if you look at it like a winning streak, we were winning okay. because we were entertaining people. Mm-hmm. You know, so after every show, it seems like people were happy. They'd come up to us and be thankful that we came to their town or that we, they came to see us on a Monday night. So, I mean, by the time you get there, most people are pretty accomplished. Mm. You know, they've done, I don't know if they're 10,000 hours, but they put in 2,000 or 3,000. Okay. You know, to get up sense. on stage and, you know, do a sketch comedy review show.
0: Do you see anything that parallels here or at the pit or do, do you ever get those feelings when you watch something here or, or uh, at any of the spaces that you're, you're involved with that makes you think, oh, wow, that reminds me of how it was back then?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's a different time. Too. Yeah. I mean, it's, and you know, it's Chicago, it's Second City, it's a place where it's, you know you're really not doing that many other things. Like for us to do the family or UCB and second city, that was a lot. Mm. People now are doing two, three different, four different things, right. you know, and it's hard to just, that's your job. Mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely see folks where I'm like, yes, these folks are talented mm-hmm. and I can see if they keep working, something's going to happen mm-hmm. depending on their hard work and luck. Right, right. You know, but it's, it's hard to compare that time to now. Because of how unique it was in terms of now you look back and you look at the number of people yeah, in yeah. Chicago in the late 80s to mid-90s. Right. Mid-late right. 90s. It's just like.
0: It was It was a product
1: of its time. Right. It was yeah. Just, and again, it's that moment of grace, the alchemy. People just ended up showing up in Chicago at the same time. Mm-hmm. And there were people who were already there from the late 80s. And they were talented. The people coming in were talented. You were just around a lot of talented people.
0: Did you see people coming back who had already established themselves? I mean, did were there people who came in and did spot shows yeah. and stuff like that? And how was that helpful? Was that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, it was hopefully helpful for them and us. They yeah. enjoyed doing it. You saw that it was real, that it yeah. was possible. I don't know if maybe just me, but I don't know if you, people saw the trajectory of like you go from here to here to here to here. I still don't really know mm-hmm. how that works. I don't think any of us do. <laughs> you know, um, but I'm, maybe some people are more savvy and like, oh, if you do this, it goes to here. But really, it's just a matter of you know the hard work, mm. you know, going that extra mile. Yeah. You know, what
0: people, does that mean? You know, that's, it's, it's, I, I, I find myself agreeing with it and not in the way we were talking about before where I just said, yeah, but I know what you mean. But what does that mean to you, the, the extra mile, doing the extra work? What, what, how do you qual- qualify that or quantify that for somebody? Well, I mean,
1: I get, you know, with anything, depending on what your job is, it's rehearsing more, mm-hmm. getting up more on stage, mm-hmm. finding ways to get up. You know, you may be going the extra mile and being like, I didn't know this was going the extra mile. What, I'm doing 10 shows a week? Right. That's the extra mile. yeah, you're doing, you're going the extra mile, you know? So some people naturally go the extra mile. Mm -hmm. Other folks have to find what is the extra mile. You write for a half hour a day, write for an hour a day. Mm -hmm. You get up once three times a week, get up six times a week. That's the extra mile. Got it. Going further, going further than other people are willing to go. You know, Seeing movies about comedy, you know, watching classic comedy, you know, it was harder back then because, you know, I worked in a video store, so I was able to watch a lot of comedy movies. Not everybody
0: had all that access, right.
1: yeah. So, I had access, because of that, to just watch a lot of movies. Um, and I think, you know, back then, it was a different time. Now, you can get it, you can get it anywhere. Yeah, yeah. But back then, it was a big deal to rent a movie.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had to be careful, too. Because if you rented the wrong one, that whole night shot. Right. And you couldn't go back. It was, right. you know, that it's kind of funny today, you know, to, to see, I don't want to say it's too easy for people now, but you know, if you're not doing the research on stuff, if you're not educating yourself, you only have yourself to blame right. at this point. I
1: because, mean, you can type in anything into YouTube. Yeah. It'd be like Muppets, best of Muppets. Yeah. And boom, it's there. Yeah. Within seconds. Or you're just looking for a scene. Someone has cut the scene out of this movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, for years, you know, it's funny with this SNL is a great example is that um, for years, I, I regretted the fact that I never got to see a sketch called Manhasset, my my hometown or something like that. And it was literally set in the town I grew up in. Mm-hmm. And they wrote a sketch about it for SNL. And I didn't see SNL that night. But the next morning, my parents went, did you watch Saturday Night Live? They talked about Manhasset. And it, it was like my, the blood rushed from my right. face because back then, if you missed it, you, you missed, missed it. it. Right. And it
1: never got rerun. Right. But now I can go find it. Yeah, I mean, I would record, after I decided, like, I want to write for the show, mm-hmm. I remember recording episodes and then transcribing them wow. to see what they looked like on paper. So, I guess, again, that's going the extra mile. Yeah, yeah, you know, sure. uh And I didn't know that was the extra mile. Mm-hmm. I watched it. I recorded it. We happened to be lucky enough to have a VCR. Mm-hmm. I took that VCR and then I played it back slowly and I, you know, wrote down what they were saying to see what does this look like on paper, hmm. you know. That kind of stuff. That's you know? fascinating but stuff. But it, it is. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, this has been around since the beginning of time. You know, count your blessings. Sure. You know, um, go the extra mile. Mm-hmm. You know, treat yourself like you are rare. Obviously, there's only one of you since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. You know?
0: That's what a lot of people don't get about. And this is a, a bigger statement about acting. And the thing that kind of drew me back in after being away from acting for a long time is, is the idea that, you know, the cookie cutter is fine for certain applications, but... You bring yourself to it. You're bringing something completely and utterly unique, and that's valuable. Mm -hmm. And and so many people who think about being an actor are like, well, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm just a regular average person. But you're not. You're you're entirely unique.
1: Well, I mean, you have to do it for the right reasons, too. Mm -hmm. Just like, I want to be an actor. It's like, well, why, though? Mm -hmm. You know, because at a different place in time, 100 years ago, you know, 200 years ago, people wouldn't be like, I do not want to be an actor. Right, right, but what are you talking about? Right, <laughs> you know, it's like you really had to want to do it. Yes, yeah. a desire to get up on stage and read these other lines and do you know plays and entertain people. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I think a lot of people do, which is fine. I think you know in this day and age you should try everything and sometimes try stuff just to make sure you don't want to do it. Yes, you know because you never want to look back and go, "I wish I tried that." Try it so you know that I did try it. It wasn't for me, or I tried it and now I have a better respect for it. That definitely, you know, yeah. Uh, but that's the hard part—is just trying to be yourself, mm-hmm. because we've seen so much stuff. Am I saying this the way I would say it? Do I even know who I am, <laughs> or am I saying that's the true. way someone else says it?
0: Right, right. We're we're such a product of everything that influences us. And, but I think by this stage, and you and I are of similar—we're in a similar stage of our lives—and mm-hmm. I think you kind of have to at this point either figure it out or or just give up, and you're going to find out anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's like I think if you go through the process of figuring out who you are, it's 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 sort of uh, empowering, much more so than than when we thought we knew who we were when we were 23, you know. That's just the way I look at it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so let's backtrack a second. Uh, You did have the opportunity to go to SNL. Uh, You said you auditioned. Mm -hmm. So, did you audition as a performer and submit as a writer?
1: Yeah. They Ah, said, look, if we're looking for any male performers, which we're not, Mm -hmm. we'll fly you up for an audition. They said we were going to be looking at male performers, too. So... I got flown up for an audition I got to audition at 8h wow. which was a phenomenal experience because you need those rarefied conditions yeah sure. a crucible like that to get the you know, the armor and from finding out to doing it was a week and I was able to put together something and be able to you know have an audition that I was the best I could do. Mm-hmm. you know I felt like I left it out there and because of that, uh, I think the writing packet and the timing and the people who already were my friends who worked on the show were able to get me a job on the show as a writer. When they really weren't looking for any writers, that year they only hired one performer, which was a female performer, Rachel Dratch. Okay, and then I was the only writer hired. So again, it's this moment of luck, mm-hmm. meeting hard work and grace, and just you know, a blessing. It was the time yeah. for it to happen, and That's it right. did.
0: Yeah. Do you remember who else auditioned at the same time? Obviously, Rachel Dratch did. But
1: well, I think the only people I knew from Second City, I think, were myself, Rachel, and Stephanie Weir. Oh, okay. That auditioned that year. And she
0: went on not too long after that to she went TV, to Man right? TV. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, but I think that was a better fit for her.
0: Mm hmm. You know? Well, it worked out. Yeah. 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 So that's that. Uh, and, and then you spent how long at SNL?
1: I mean, a little bit over half a season. Okay. You know, I got there for the 25th anniversary season. And then, you know, around Christmas, they said we got to let go of three writers. Mm hmm. I was last hired, first fired, and they let go of the last three writers they'd hired. Who, who else went out the door with you? Um, Jerry Collins, I think he wrote for the Bernie Mac show, and he okay. still is a writer. Mm-hmm. And then J.J. Philbitt. So the three of us, you know, week before Christmas was like, okay, that's it. Whoops. Wow. Was like, that's it. How did you find out? How did, how did they let you I know? I was in Chicago visiting because it was like now, you know, after SNL, I flew through to Chicago for the holiday party at Second City and then went home to North Carolina. And then I got a call that somehow they tracked me down where I was crashing. I guess I'd left my number <laughs> Wow. just yeah. in case. And back when you had to do that, I guess. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you had to leave your number. I didn't have yeah. a cell phone back then. And uh, I knew once I got that call that so-and-so was trying to reach you, I was like, it's over. They're like, yeah. what are you talking about? I was like, no, there's no reason why they'd call me. Yeah, that's, that's and I'm getting on the phone and being like, okay, is this it? It's like, yeah, it's like anything I could have done? No, it's just, this is the way it is. You did everything, we're letting go of three, so it's not just you, you know, it's just... NBC. Who was it who, who called you? The same gentleman, Steve Higgins. Who, oh, okay. You know, he was the head writer at the time, right? He was the producer. Producer, okay. And the same person who helped bring me in had to be the one who had to kind of say. I'm sure it was not fun over. for him either. No, Christmas, yeah. you know, around Christmas, he's got to do it, but he got to do it. Yeah, know? yeah, it's part of the job. But again, job. if that hadn't happened then I wouldn't be available that spring in February to go look at an apartment with my friend that I ended up buying Mm. with the SNL money that I made Mm -hmm. that started all the rest of it. (laughs) So I think the universe, again, you know, was looking out for me. It was like, look, you saved up. You went to space camp, you know, you got to see it Mm -hmm. from the inside. This is it. How was the experience? I mean, again, I had a good experience because I was like the only writer hired. Right. right. You know, so there was nobody to commiserate with, but also it was like 25th anniversary season.
0: Yeah, that's pretty exciting.
1: I mean, aside from the first year, I would put that season or that period of time as the most exciting. Yeah, yeah. It was the 25th anniversary season, you know, coming off of that going into that season. You know, it was a great cast. And so... What was the best thing you wrote during that time? Well, I don't know. You know, I mean, I wrote... Something something, you liked the best, at least. Well, I wrote a monologue for... uh, Dylan McDermott and Horatio Sands, um, where Horatio had been in Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street with Dylan McDermott years ago in For Chicago. Real. For real. Okay. Okay. And then hadn't worked since SNL, and <laughs> then so or in a way like that. And so the monologue was basically about how we were accusing Dylan of putting the kibosh on his career. <laughs> they exchanged. they had like one scene in Thirty Fourth Street, <laughs> using the word kibosh, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, sure. It was the opening monologue. It felt fun to be able to work with a friend and connect this thing. And yeah, really. yeah. And again, as a, as a as a new writer, they tell you if you get one thing on all year, yeah, we'll yeah. be happy.
0: Sure, sure. So but don't the, the monologue's a big deal.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know. It little lines here and there and ideas and stuff going to dress and, you know,
0: and it worked out. It all worked out. It all worked out. And then since then you have done all these things to, to, to teach and to, and to allow, uh, the opportunities for other people. And that's, that's, that's really admirable.
1: Yeah. I mean, I enjoy it. I mean, I get something out of it too. I enjoy construction. I enjoy design. You know, I enjoy building spaces and overseeing them, you know, and I get my spoonfuls of performance and writing and teaching that you know help fulfill me but you know and I prefer a buffet to an entree so you got to know who you are too yeah I mean so I I would rather have a little spoonful of this that and the other than have a whole one dish of of a certain kind but you know maybe I'm just saying that no
0: and if you are that's okay too (laughs) because I don't think anybody's going to come back at you and say hey on Dave's podcast you you said you liked a buffet but
1: I saw you having a steak now you have now you're on a show and now you're doing something that you're only doing one thing now (laughs)
0: Yeah. You gotta be careful what you say in this mass right. media world.
1: They'll get you, I tracked you down.
0: <laughs> How do people track you down? What's what's the best way to get in touch with you if no, somebody's through listening the to pit. this? Yeah,
1: through the pit
0: dash yeah. nyc.com. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The pit-nyc.com. They'll be able to get to me, you know. Soon. Or four one one. Yeah, or four one one still probably works. <laughs> they can track me down. Hey, thanks for doing this. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. For whatever it's worth.
0: It's worth a lot, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you you did it. Ah. Yeah. Oh <laughs> uh. The very definition of a mover and a shaker, Ali Faranakian. If you want to find out more about Ali, well, you can go to his Twitter. He uh, admits that he's not sold on the uh, technology if you read his bio on the page. But his uh, Twitter handle is Ali, Ali NYC. That's A L I A L I N Y C. If you want to find him on Twitter, but really, probably. The best way to get in touch with him is through the People's Improv Theater. That's thepit-nyc.com. T-H-E-P-I-T-N-Y-C.com. My thanks to Ali for a terrific conversation. And uh, we'll see what happens with him next because he's probably working on something new. That's probably a guarantee. That does it for another week of Bring Your Own Lunch. Thank you for joining us. You can find us online at bringyourownlunch.com for past, present, and uh, presumably future shows of Bring Your Own Lunch. Don't forget to find us on iTunes and subscribe there. Rate us. Give us a, give us a review. That would be awesome. Uh, find us on Twitter at podcast, And you can go to facebook.com slash lunch to like us there. Don't forget to check out Banuba.net to find out where the music from this show comes from and find out where that band will be and uh, download some of their music. NYSFSO.com, the New York Short Film Shootout. Again, October. October? What am I talking about? August 25th, 8 p.m. at Treehouse Theater. And we will be showing some fine films there. Find out more information there. And, of course, go to TreehouseTheaterNYC.com to find out all the information about the theater where the New York Short Film Shootout will be taking place. Stay tuned for the Jimmy Jack Cow Punch Hour, followed by Mansoor and the Fish. Until next week, when I'll have another great guest for Bring Your Own Lunch, this is Dave. I'll see you next Tuesday.